Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the executive director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences all around the world. We invite you to share this podcast and our free daily meditations with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to introduce new audiences to the writings and the teachings of Henry Nouwen. Welcome to our first podcast in our spring lineup. We always love to give you the opportunity to listen to Henry Nouwen himself. This Nouwen talk that we are sharing with you today was given in 1995 in Portland, Oregon. It's about forgiveness. Henry, in his own very entertaining and disarmingly honest way, tells the story of the return of the prodigal son. And in the telling of it, he reveals with great honesty so many of the struggles he has had in his own life. Here is Father Henry Nouwen telling a deep story of our shared human struggle that links us all to the gospel story of the prodigal son and his broken relationship with his father. If you think about forgiveness, which text you most obviously think about in the New Testament? For me, the, 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 the story, the text that is most directly speaking about it is the story of the prodigal son. So I'm going to read it to you and just ask you to listen to it um, in a very meditative way to really enter the story and look with your eyes, of uh, your inner eyes and your inner ears, listen with your inner ears to that story. There was a man, Jesus said, who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that will come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money on the life of the bauchery. When he had spent it all, that country experienced a severe famine, and now he began to feel the pinch. So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants who put him on his farm to feed the pigs. And he would willingly have filled himself with the hunks the pigs were eating, but no one would let him have them. And then he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired men have all the food they want and more? And here am I, dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired men. 
So he left the place and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to him, clasped him in his arms and kissed him. And then his son said, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I, I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring out the best rope and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We will celebrate by having a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now the eldest son was out in the fields. And on his way back, as he drew near the home, he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. The servant told him, your brother has come and, and your father has killed the calf. We have been fattening because he has got him back safe and sound. He was angry then and refused to go in. And his father came out and began to urge him to come in. But he retorted to his father, All these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed any orders of yours. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his loose women, you killed the calf we had been fattening. The father said, my son, you are with me always, and all I have is yours. But it was only right we should celebrate and rejoice because your brother here was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. The topic, the, the subject is forgiveness. And um, it's a real, really tough subject. Forgiveness is one word for love in our life together. You know, love, you can speak about generosity or kindness or friendliness or gentleness. Or, you know, love has many, many words, but one word and one of the most important words, I think, for love as we live love here and now is forgiveness. And so this morning I, I would like starting to talk about forgiveness and, and I, I realize that uh, it's a much harder subject than I often claim it to be. Because even though I say, sure, I should be a forgiving person, 
it doesn't take me more than a few seconds to realize that, uh, that I'm not there yet. And that, have, that I, 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 I can say I'm getting this long talk about forgiveness, but right as I talk about forgiveness, there's somebody that sits there in the corner of my soul that I'm not very happy about and not ready to forgive or to be forgiven by. So it's something that, on the one hand, sounds extremely important and, and, and we can agree with how important forgiveness is. On the other hand, it doesn't take very much to realize that, uh, that to be a person in whom forgiveness has been incarnated, that's, that's a huge lifelong journey. Now, I would like to talk about two subjects, about receiving forgiveness or asking for forgiveness or receiving forgiveness, and about giving forgiveness, offering forgiveness. I think it's very important to make a distinction between the two. Quite often we think, well, we should forgive our neighbor, we should forgive our friends, we should forgive this person who hurt us. But for me, the question is not only just are we willing to forgive, but are we willing to be forgiven? Are we willing to ask for forgiveness and to receive forgiveness that comes to us? And I'm absolutely convinced that uh, giving forgiveness is easier than receiving. And that in many ways to offer forgiveness to others and to say to others, you are forgiven, can only be possible if we, we experience ourselves as forgiven persons, as being forgiven, as people who have been able to receive forgiveness. And in that sense, you cannot give what you have not received. You cannot give forgiveness if you in no way have experienced what it means to receive it. You understand? So there are two, two important things. And, and this morning, I would li just like to talk exclusively about receiving forgiveness, not about giving. We'll talk that, about that tomorrow. And the story of the prodigal son is, an, is a good story to work with because uh, it's a story about three people, basically. Two sons and a father. And very quickly, I, I, I just want you to think, two daughters and a mother. It's about relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, so th this morning, um, I would like to talk about these two sons, the two daughters, these two people. And, um, and explore a little bit with you um, how these people look like. And, and for you, it's really important, you know, it's not a story, it's about you, it's about me, it's about us. So, so and later on in your meditation or in your discussion, uh, it's not a question about analyzing that story as well as discovering your own. So where are you? So think a little bit about the old, the younger son. Think about that for a little bit. Think about you as the younger daughter, you as the younger son. 
And I, if I think about it, I feel really, really sympathetic with this person. Really, with this guy. He had such a model father, such a, who knew all, everything so well. And who had it all together, and so on. And um, quite often, uh, my father knew it <coughs> before I even wanted to know it. Or my father gave me answers because I even had a question. My father was telling me what is good for me and what's good for you and how you should behave and what's so wonderful when you, you know, this is, I know what life is all about. I will tell you, son, you know, what's good for you and how to do it and so on. Finally, I just want to say, I get oppressed here. <laughs> it feels, it doesn't feel free for me. I want to discover my life on my own. I, I want to find out what's good and what is bad and what is sinful or what is not sinful. I want to discover if life is interesting or not interesting. I don't want just you to tell me exactly how I should live and what I should do and tell me what is wrong or what is right. I just want to find it out for myself. You know, give me a break. Give me, give me a break. I want to get out of this nice family. But everybody knows things so well. Why everybody is so organized and planned and so holy and so so damned good. <laughs> I want to get out of that. I love you know, you know don't you have this this desire to just be a pagan to do everything that you're not supposed to do? Don't you have ever the desire to just do all the things that everybody else says are sinful and shouldn't be done? You don't even have a chance to try it out. People have already before you're born, you're all telling you what to do and not to do. Have you ever rebelled in you? Have you ever saying, gosh, maybe that whole Christian story is a lot of nonsense. I just want to, to go there and do it myself. And I want to play around and go and out of this safe place and go to a foreign country and be a stranger. Nobody has all these ideas about me that I come from such a good family and so, so decently behaved. I just want to be unknown. I just want to run around and do things and find out what life is about. I think it's a total healthy desire, you know. I had it and still have it. <laughs> sin boldly. Don't you just want to sin boldly, you know? So to really do all the wrong things just to find out how it feels. <laughs> you know, all this talk about these moralists around me. Yeah. You have to get in touch with that place in you, really. You have to see if that's there somewhere. Maybe it's not even in you. But if it is, uh, don't be afraid to. And you know, Liv, you come from a church. Well, not everybody, I think, but I don't know who. But if you are from the Catholic Church, then you certainly come from a from a community where it seems that everything is already decided before you even have a chance to make your own judgments. It's often pe people live it that way, feel it that way. It just becomes oppressive. It becomes too, too straight-jacket. You want to break out. Give me my money. Give me my share. I'll go and do it myself. Thank you for your education. Thank you for letting me do all this thing. But I finally want to get out of here and find out life by myself and not just giving me all these little lectures.
this is what a church is, isn't it? It's supposed to do, and this is what a good behavior is, and this is what, what a good guy looks, and this is what a good girl looks like. And that, that, that. I just, just can't stand it anymore. I just want to get away. And there's a lot of lust there. Lust. You know, good lust. <laughs> you know, good lust. Good energy. Good erotic energy. Good, good desire to, to be sort of, you know, we, we are people as a body and we, we are full of energy and vitality and we, so, and, and where can I let it go? Okay. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I want to be free. I want to discover for myself what it means to have a body and to be alive. I want to test out my own life. Okay. So what happens is when this, when you or, or I or finally end up with the pigs, What are we going to do when we end up in dissipation? Okay? Because this is what happened with him. Dissipation. Money, lust, women, stranger. Nobody talked to him anymore. He was, he was totally lost. And the way he chooses to be lost, He chooses to be lost. And he's lost in dissipation. He, he tried it all out and finally he, 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 he had nothing anymore. He lost his name and his popularity and his money and his innocence and his purity and he was just lost. And it's interesting, you know, there are quite a few people who, who, who finally choose to be lost. It's better to be lost than to be oppressed. It's better to, to lose it all on my own than to be part of this, this austeritarian family that tells me what to do. I mean, there are people who finally choose that it is better than to, to lose. You have to, to be in touch with that yourself, that there is a part of you, of me at least, that, that raises that question constantly. You know, you have to try to feel it, try to feel it, but it means when you're lost and you hear your dad say, I always told you so, if you would do that, you would end up with this, I want you to stay home, I always told you so, it wouldn't work, see? Now you sit there and you hear your dad saying that while you've lost, you say, damn it, this is my dad, I prefer to be lost to go back to dead boss. Remember me? I, I finally prefer to be lost and to be back home with him. At least I got rid of him. Now, I, I might get rid of everything else too, but at least I don't, you know what I mean? So returning home can never mean going back to the old past. And finally say, you're always right, I'm sorry, I did. You're so right, you know, I shouldn't have left. And you are really... You know, what is interesting, 
about this whole thing is when Rembrandt painted the prodigal son, he painted him as a dagger. He had lost everything, but he still had a dagger, a little dagger here. And the dagger is a sign of sonship. It's a sign that I am the son of my father. And I am still the heir. I'm still the successor of my family. I'm still in line to, to take over from my father somewhere. I belong to that family. And Rembrandt painted that dagger as the dagger that made him return. That when he had lost everything and he was just had to make a choice whether to self-destruct, <coughs> commit suicide, or, or really dissipate completely, or to return, that he suddenly, in some very deep way, deep way, realized that he was the son, that he belonged to his father and to his family, and that beyond all the judgments about being authoritarian or oppressive or this or that or such or so, or all these things, there was something deeper. There was a connectedness. There was a belonging that was still there. And yet, yes, yes, uh, Maybe my father was right, but I'm not going to return because my father was right. I'm not going to return simply because uh, I, I want to, to go, go back to the old place. I want to return because I haven't forgotten who I am finally. I am the son. I am the daughter. I am a member of the family. I'm part of that community. I am, I am the beloved of my father, even when my father wasn't able too well to express it to me or show it to me or make me feel so good. I'm still, that's still who I am. And instead of choosing to let myself be totally lost, I choose to return in the knowledge of who I am. And I want you to, to, to realize something very important for me is that realize that the return can never mean to just go back to the old situation. It means something very different. It means to, to that as I rediscover sonship, which doesn't mean just being the obedient little boy who does what my dad says or, or that. As I, but it means something else. I don't know what it means, but I have to reclaim my daughterhood, my sonship, my belonging in a different place. And as I reclaim that, I have to also reclaim fatherhood and motherhood in a different way. To redefine that. It cannot be just that the old boy and the old dad are getting back together. Somehow, sonship and fatherhood are being redefined emotionally as this return takes place. And that, when we talk about forgiveness, that's where it starts, to receive it, to ask for it. 
somewhere requires a new way of thinking about who we are and who the one is of whom we ask it. To receive, to say, Father, forgive me, somehow has to come from a place in us that it helps us discover who we are, but helps us also discover who the one is of whom we are asking forgiveness. To receive forgiveness, to enter into a question of forgiveness, um, is, 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 is a, a way of rediscovering who we are. Okay. Secondly, think about yourself, turn it all around, forget about the younger son for a moment, just think about the older man. And you know the older son, some of you, is anybody here older son? Well, if you are the older son, you will be even more sympathetic to that story. All the sons stayed home. Mm -hmm. He stayed home. And he wanted to be the obedient one, the hard-working man who was going to do what his father asked him to do. He was staying home. He worked hard in his father's farm. He looks for duty. Now, I, that's, that's very much who I am in many levels. I mean, uh, I, I, somebody once said to me, you always think you're the younger son, but uh, I think you really are the older one. You stayed home most of your life. Home means you did, you did what was expected of you, what your father wanted, or your mother wanted, or your school teachers wanted, or your church wanted, or you're always trying to do your best, and you get high points and high degrees, and somewhere you, you did it. You, you fulfilled the expectations of your bosses, and you were nice. You always were sort of nodding to people who seems to be a little more important than you were. But you went close to them. In fact, you worked hard to please, to please, to please. But as you tried to please, your dad, or your bishop, or your friend, or your boss, whatever it is, of your teacher, as you please, try to please, you are looking for intimacy, for, for affection, for friendship, for communion, and you didn't get it. And at some point in your heart, you were jealous on your younger brother who had the guts to go and do his own thing. But you can do it, well, I'm supposed to, to keep the honor going here. Somewhere, the older son is mad, angry, jealous too on his younger brother who left. Because, because although he stayed, he didn't even feel the freedom in himself to go. He felt sort of constrained by his duty. He has to keep up the right image. He has to represent the family. 
He has to be my oldest son. Look, well-dressed, nice guy. Does exactly what his father and mother expect. Always has his tie on when it comes to nice occasions. He's doing the right thing. But interiorly, interiorly, that's a lost person too. In a way, interiorly, the older son is as much lost as the younger son. Because he's physically at the same place, but emotionally he is as alienated from his father as the younger son is. I, uh, I had a friend who, um, who lived like the younger son. Did anything that I didn't dare to do, but he did it. I did And then when he was about 25, he, he became a Catholic. He had done all the things that I was dreaming about, but he was doing that, but then he got converted. And he became a Catholic, was baptized in church. And he met me. And he says, Henry, he says, I says, I think you really should pray more. I said, I should pray more. I should pray more. You who have done everything you you pleased to do are going to tell me who have been obedient in the church since I was four years old and not anything but the Holy Father told me. And you're gonna tell me that I should pray more? Who do you think I am? You are. Sorry. You know what? You know the anger? The anger that comes sometimes from people who are home but not home? Who are in the church but not in the church? Who are part of a religious community but really are sort of angry about the fact that they never were out of it? The church is filled with resentment, resentful people who sort of don't leave it but Stay in it resentfully, angrily. And resentment means cold anger. You're angry, 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 and finally it's not hot anger anymore. It's just simply you don't even know how, how resentful you are. And you have to think about yourself where, where you are the oldest daughter or the oldest son, where you're angry. It can be at your father or your mother, or it can be at your church, or it can be at a teacher, or it can be at a person, or it can be somewhere else. But one of the hardest things for us is to claim our resentment. When we are not free, resentment stifles us, gives us a hard, cold heart, a hardened heart. But we live with it so long we don't even know how resentful we are. Life is full with resentful people. Also with lustful people, but also with resentful people. You know, people angry at somebody, and really, you know, I mean, you know, when it really comes down to it, it, they haven't ever got over that hurt, or they feel, they feel, I'm here, but maybe I shouldn't be here, or I'm here, or maybe it's, maybe I hadn't the courage to be anywhere else, or whatever. Every community has that. The church has it, Vash has it. People, wherever people, and particularly in the Christian community, because the Christian community makes such an enormous moral claim on us that quite often we obey, but we don't obey while being really free in it. 
we remain resentful. Somehow we feel that somebody else is telling us to stay home and we do it and we do it and we do it and we work and we say, wow, you know, here's your younger son. He's coming back and you give him the coffee. You have a big party and I am here, always here. I've done exactly what the Holy Mother Church did. I did exactly what my teacher said. I did exactly what my dad said. I did exactly what the Holy Father said. I did exactly the right thing. And you don't even give me a thank you note. I don't even get any friendly words from any bishop or pope. You know, I've written about 30 books. I'll never be a bishop who said, thank you, Henry, for these wonderful books. All the presidents say that, but not the Catholic. And I'm in the Catholic Church. I'm in the... <laughs> Nobody. I get all my honors from, from those Protestants. <laughs> and my own people don't even love me. They don't even say anything nice to me. They, they, they only ask me things to do when they don't know how to do it themselves, but that's it all. <laughs> What's this? And I know, and if I say one thing wrong, the only father will be there with a letter, or the bishop, or the nuncius, or whoever, you know? My father always said to me, Henry, I'm only going to read your books when the Vatican has forbidden to read them. <laughs> because only then you say something interesting. So it was just a joke, but it was basically saying, you know, you're so obedient, you're so nice, you always say the right thing that everybody likes to hear. But you don't have the guts to say something that they don't like because they're going to tell you. And you want to say, oh, poor me, you know, why don't you love me more? Resentment, that's resentment, you know, that's, that's, that's all around us. It's all, it's all around us, it's, it's there. And I want to tell you, it's a lostness, it's a, it's a lostness. And returning from resentment is a lot harder than returning from dissipation. Because you don't even know you, you, know you are resentful. If, you, if you're in with prostitutes and throw all your money away and gamble, well, that's pretty obvious where you have to return from. But when you just resentment, you're at home, you do all the right things. You don't even know that you uh, have something to return to. And how to receive forgiveness as a resentful person? That's just a very, very good question. Because we often don't even think we need forgiveness. We're self-righteous. We said we do the right thing. The problem is my brother, not with me. How to, how to even return? In the story of the prodigal son, the, whether this older son returns, we don't even know. That story doesn't give us the answer. It doesn't say, and then he finally joined his brother at the party. No, he says. There's no words about the end of the story. And he just told the story to the Pharisees, to the self-righteous people. The whole story is about, uh, in that sense, about the elder son. It's not about the younger son. It's about the elder son who, who sort of did their obligation, but basically weren't able to really listen. And what I, again I want to say to you is, as the older son in you looks for healing, for asking and receiving forgiveness, it's, it's basically a conversion of yourself as the older son and a conversion of the father and the mother and the power figures also. When I ask forgiveness for my resentment in the church, then I have to have a very different interior understanding of what obedience is all about. 
and what it means to be member of a community of faith, whether it is a pope or whether bishops or their leaders or whether it is ministers or whether you know. And there are different. I mean, asking forgiveness again doesn't simply mean, you know, I, I wanted, I want to do. I, you, somehow you, you, you have to really reshape your own understanding of yourself in the community, and it requires a whole new understanding of fatherhood and motherhood and childhood. So if you if you now have some sense of who you are as the older or the younger son, older younger daughter. Now the question is, how to return and receive healing and forgiveness? And to claim your dependency means to become like a child. Not to stay like a child, but to become like a child. Jesus says, if you don't become like children, you cannot enter into the kingdom. Jesus doesn't say, stay like a child. It's not dependency of a baby, it's the dependency of a mature person who says, when you are young, you girded yourself and went where you wanted to go, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and somebody else will gird you and lead you where you rather wouldn't go. That is a spiritual dependency, spiritual maturity. They call that a second childhood, or some people call it second naivete, a second openness. It's not a dependency out of which the younger son left. It's a new dependency. It's a dependency of chosen in freedom. A dependency of the child that is open to receive. And, and you and I have to claim it, uh, claim in that sense our dagger. And say, I'm your son, I'm your child, but I, I want to be it. And I'm not ashamed of it. And it doesn't mean I'm going to just crawl on the floor for you. And I'm standing in front of you. I'm your child. I'm, I'm the heir. I'm willing to be the heir. I'm willing to be the child. I'm willing to be the child of my father. Whether it's my heavenly father, my earthly father, I want to be who I am. I want to claim my childhood. And as I grow older, I want to claim it even more. Because I become dependent again physically, but more emotionally and spiritually. I discover my deepest vulnerability. And only when you claim that dependency, you, 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 um, you can uh, receive forgiveness, ask for it. Because you have to say, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. Uh, I had a car accident a few years ago. And, and the doctor said I was going to die. And because of interior bleeding. And, uh, and at that, right at that moment, I had this incredible grace that I discovered that I was God's beloved child. And it was a grace that I, I never had before. And I'd done a lot of things in my life I regretted. And then a lot of things I wish I hadn't done. And you know, I'm, I'm basically a scrupulous kind of person. And not always I'm very moralistic and very coming out of a very highly moral tradition. And somehow I felt maybe I'm not ready to die. I have to earn heaven first, you know, live a little longer. But when I dying, was dying, I suddenly had this sense of God was saying, Henry, why are you so scared of? I love you. I've always loved you, and here you are. And it was an enormous sense. And I, one of the most amazing things of that experience was that I, I was able to receive forgiveness just because I, I was willing to be a child. Secondly, I, um, 
it's the willingness to be interdependent. In the story of the prodigal son, it's very interesting that the two brothers don't want to be brothers. You know? That son of yours who squandered his money and went out with his women, why do you treat him? And the father says, your brother has come home. Come and have dinner with us. But the, the older son doesn't even acknowledge his younger brother as brother. He acknowledges him as that son of yours, not my brother. And one of the most important things is that we are willing to be interdependent, that the younger brother and the older brother want to sit around the same table and say, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're different. You do things that I wouldn't have done, and I do things that you wouldn't have done. But, but we, we are both children of the same father, and therefore we can be together as brothers and sisters. Different cultures, different races, different languages, different styles of life, different customs, but somehow in a very deep way we belong together. And you, you and I have to really learn, and I think Lash is very much about it, is to explore the joy of, uh, of being brothers and sisters. We live in a society where we try to prove constantly that we're not like others. I'm better than you, faster than you, smarter than you. I, I compare myself always with people. I do that interiorly all the time. How do I compare with him or with her? How do I make up in the competition of life? There are a lot of competitions, interior competitions. You know, it's not always running in the athletics or, but, or in school, but it's also interiorly. Did they think he is a better person than I am a better person? And, and we, we constantly are busy with comparing ourselves with others and wondering how we fit and what people think about this and how they feel about this. And sometimes our joy then gets connected with where we do special things that others don't do. Special rewards or special compliments or special this. And Jesus is calling us to, to a joy of being brothers and sisters. You're like me, and that's so nice about it. You, you and I are so much the same. You and I belong to the same family. I don't know if you ever had that little experience that you you from where from Quebec, you know, and imagine somebody comes out to you and says, "Hi, I am John," and you said, "Oh, I'm Judith." And where are you from? Well, I'm from Quebec. You are also from Quebec. Wow. You know, and where do you um, live? Oh, I just live right around the citadel there. Well, I do too, and I'm always buying my vegetables there. And do you know? Why isn't it exciting? You know, we all the same. You know, you get very excited about discovering you're from the same village. Or oh, he's, from, he's from Holland too, you know, and I'd be both from Holland, same seminar. It's not exciting, it's joy, you know. You know, it makes it joyful, not because he's different, though, it may have so much joy, because he's just from the same place. Huh? Now, I want you to experience that as to be, wow, you are from the same humanity as I am. Same eyes, two eyes, two ears, my just like me, born like me, struggling like me, going to die like me, wonderful, we're just the same. And that's so joyful, isn't that wonderful? That you and I belong to the same humanity, same planet, same creation, isn't that joyful? We are brothers and sisters. And receiving forgiveness has a lot to do with that. 
if you can claim that, if you can claim that, that sameness as a source of joy, then you can forgive each other. A lot easier. Because you basically say, well, you know, you're around on this world for a few years and we struggle, we, but, but what we have in common is really what is the source of our joy. We have in common the human flesh. We have in common our mortality. We have in, in common our being born. We have in common that. And so we better sit around one table and eat from the same bread and drink from the same wine and, and have the same words of thanks. That's what the Eucharist is all about. The brothers and sisters coming around the table and saying we are children of God. We can forgive each other. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Forgive, forgive. Come to, to make us a community of forgiveness. But we can only be that when we claim, accept the invitation of the Father to come in and be part of the same party. And thirdly, and this is something that is finally um, a very practical question. Stepping over your wounds. This is so hard for me to do that. To step over my brokenness. That means for me that if I am hurt by you, I am willing at some place in me to let your hurting me not define me. You know what I mean? To let your hurting me not saying who I am. But if you hurt me deeply, I'm going to be the hurted one for a long time. You know what I mean? She offended me. He hurt me. The church rejected me. The society put me on the corner. Whatever. And I am the rejected one. And if you talk to me, I will tell you how they treated me. And I will remind you what my mother did, or what my church did, or what my father did. And I, I have something to tell you. There are people who, 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 who write, it's right up there. You want to know who I am? I'm Henry Nouwen, and my bishop this did, or I'm Henry Nouwen, and this publisher this did, or I'm Henry Nouwen, and Lash this did to me, or I'm Henry Nouwen. Let me, let me tell you about, about all these things that happened to me, and I have something to say. And I, I won't forget it, because if I forget it, who am I? Because I'm the rejected one. And the world is filled with people with a negative identity. That's what a negative identity is. I am the rejected one, the abandoned one, the hurt one, the wounded one. And I'm not trying to say that these wounds aren't real, and that these wounds aren't really very painful, and that these wounds aren't needing very unjust, and that you're not treated unjustly sometimes. I'm not trying to romanticize and sort of forgive it, forget it. No, I'm trying to say, if you are being hurt and wounded and rejected, which you are, no human being isn't rejected somewhere or abandoned. And we live with people who, whose life is very much marked by rejections. That's what life is about. But what we want to say is that we do not allow the world to identify these people by their rejection. They are not just the rejected one, the beautiful people, the good people, the loving people. 
and I want to say to myself. I tell you this is one of the hardest things to do. I, I um, had the experience of a severe depression about four years after I got to Lash. And I, was, I felt deeply rejected by a person. And so much so that I had to leave Daybreak because I just was so depressed. I just, I felt so, this person really cared for me and opened up very deep places in me and finally that person says, I cannot be with you any longer. I know you, I don't want to see you anymore. And it was so painful because precisely the person who had loved me best had rejected me most. And that was not because he was a bad person. It was simply because that person couldn't hold on to me. But, that, but the way I lived it was like, I'm the rejected one. And as soon as I identified myself with the rejection, I couldn't do anything anymore. I couldn't minister in the community. I couldn't be a priest in the community. I couldn't do anything. I was totally paralyzed. The whole day and night, I keep screaming. I keep inside in agony. And I was the rejected one. I was the abandoned one. And I didn't know how to step over that and believe that that's not true. That I am, because the rejection of the other became self-rejection. And I started to eat it up in such a way that I, I felt the no good person, the rejected one. And one of the, the great struggles to receive forgiveness is to, and to ask for it is to step over that negative identity and somewhere find in yourself a place where you know that that person who rejected you for whatever reason isn't telling you who you are. That you are God's beloved child, you are a brother or sister of all people. And if you claim that you can step over that wound and claim the truth, and that can take years, and I'm not saying it's a, a little heroic act, it might take healing, it might take therapy, it might make friendship, it might take affection, it might make a lot of touch, it might be a lot of, of massages, it might make all of things. But finally, somehow you have to start believing that you are more than your wounds, although the wounds are real and painful. And that's the way, so these three things to, to your dependency, your interdependencies, and, and stepping over the wounds are the ways. So let me just conclude here. This is, this is really the end now. Uh, finally, I want to say, uh, as you go into your groups, the, the, the question that you're left with in terms of forgiveness is, um, from where do you live? The younger son could have chosen to live from the place of his dissipation, and that would have killed him finally. The older son could have chosen to keep living from the place of resentment, and that would have alienated him completely. But there is a choice, a choice to live, to choose to live from the place where you are free. Where you, the place beyond dissipation and resentment, 
the place where you claim being the heir, where you claim being the son or daughter, where you claim the truth that the father to whom you return is your father, your mother who became flesh and is like you in Jesus, all of that. But you finally choose, choose to live. And you can make that choice about every minute of the day. I tell you, I, when I wake up in the morning, I, I think about people I know, some of them I think about with resentment. Can I keep choosing to step beyond that? And, and the other side of resentment is gratitude. And the other side of this dissipation is, is, a, is a certain loving containment. So, so you know, as you, as you think about all that in terms of forgiveness, do you choose to live towards forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, to receive it, and to believe that you finally are a forgiven person? And even beyond your resentment and beyond your dissipation, there is forgiveness. There is healing. And that you are, as the beloved child of God, as the brother and sister of humanity, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. That's what Jesus keeps saying. You are forgiven. And not because you did that or you had this little speech or because you had this nice little uh, gesture. No, you are forgiven. That's what I come to say. It's a free gift that I offer you. And can you please receive it? so you can receive the truth of yourself and live in this world as a forgiven person who has received forgiveness. And that's a choice. That's a real choice. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to choose to be forgiven. You have to be willing to say, yes, I want to be forgiven. Yes, I want to be and say, come into my heart and give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. Give me a new life. I will give you a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. I will give you a new spirit, a spirit of joy and peace and forgiveness. I will give you, that's the spirit. The spiritual life is the life of the person who has claimed to be forgiven and therefore carries around the divine life into the world. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Wasn't Henry wonderfully honest? He challenges us to return to the Father and choose to be dependent. And then he opens us up to also choose to be interdependent, to form community. For more resources related to today's podcast, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You will find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd be so grateful if you would take time to give us a review or a thumbs up. Please pass this on to your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Until next time.